And that is exactly what I want to encourage us to do together this morning is to once again survey that wondrous cross. We're excited about the upcoming season. We're looking forward to Easter, especially in, in our church. The, uh, uh, our traditional outdoor worship service falls on the same day as Easter, and so we know it's going to be a big day, and we're excited about it. We're looking forward to it. Hopefully, the uh, folks in the community will join us out there, and, and it'll be a great time. And, but as much as we're looking forward to Easter, as much as we, we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we, we want to make sure that we don't run too quickly past Calvary in our haste to the empty tomb. If we celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, that's a parade. We celebrate Easter, that's a party. It'd be real easy for us to go from the parade to the party without ever having to face the passion. So this week and next, we're going to slow down. We're going to look again at the cross of Christ. I want us to pause there for, for a few minutes to remember. You know, it's interesting, I think, that we don't think about the cross more than we do. One of, the, uh, one of the famous pastors of years gone by said one time that heaven constantly celebrates Calvary. Hell constantly regrets Calvary. The only people who don't often think of it are those of us on earth. That's a bad paraphrase of the beautiful way he actually said it. But I thought that made some sense. We think about it far too rarely. So before we rush to the empty tomb, let's pause. Let's look again at that wondrous cross. Let's survey it. Let's think about it. To help us with that this morning, I invite your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. Those of you who have the Bible app, remember you can follow along there if you look up the events in the menu. Our event this morning's worship service will pop up and you can follow along in the Bible app. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
As we look at that passage, you, you may recognize some of the thoughts there. I'm convinced that when Peter wrote that passage, he had in mind the chapter um, from which Cheryl read just a few moments ago, Isaiah uh, 53, in which um, the, the prophet looks toward uh, the crucifixion and sees it and speaks of it in great detail. That chapter of, in Isaiah says many of the things that Peter now uh, recovers for us and, and says as he looks back at the cross. The prophet looked forward to the cross and, and saw these things and Peter now verifies the prophet was right as he looks back at the cross and says some of, makes some of the same observations. One of the first observations that Peter makes for us here is that Christ was innocent. And that's an, that's an important that's an important uh, concept for us to, to understand because the cross was for criminals. It, it was the death penalty for the worst criminals. And yet Christ was innocent. They dragged Christ before the, the, the governing uh, ruler at the time. And he said, I can't find any fault with this guy. You guys, are, you guys want me to put him to death? I don't have any reason. There's no, he hasn't done anything wrong. They worked it out where he still wound up on the cross. And when he got on the cross, there were others there, real criminals who were dying, one on his left and one on his right, and probably others along that same hill. And one on his right, one on his left, had a conversation about him with him in the middle, one of them said, hey, how can you make fun of this guy when he doesn't deserve to be here? The thief on the cross said, we deserve this. But he's done nothing wrong. And the reality is that Jesus was the only, the only person who walked the face of the earth without sin. He's the only one who was tempted just like we are but never once gave in to temptation. And yet here he receives the death penalty. He was innocent. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin, was made to be sin so that we could be made righteous. In Hebrews chapter 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, he's talking about Christ, have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Understand when you see this one receiving the death penalty, he is the only one who didn't deserve it. Christ was innocent. Not only was he innocent, but understand this, he was in control. He was in control. You see in this text, we read in verse 22 that he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth, which means he didn't say anything wrong, didn't do anything wrong. He was innocent. But then in verse 23, 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When they reviled him, he did not revile them back. When, although they were, uh, they were hurting him, they, they caused him to suffer, he did not threaten. That is incredible self control. You know, a lot of people make a lot of threats a lot of times. We threaten each other all the time. But let's be honest, a lot of the times we know we're not going to follow through on our threats. And a lot of times we wouldn't even be able to follow through on some of the big threats we make. Here is the one being in all of, of humanity, in all of, of uh, the earth, because he left glory and came to the earth. This is the one being in all of the earth who actually had the power and the ability to follow through on any threat that he might give these guys. He could have said, I'm going to zap you dead, and he could have meant it because he could have done it. But there were no threats. Although they reviled him, he did not revile them back. Although they caused him to suffer, he did not respond inappropriately. That's self-control. That's amazing when we think about the fact that while Jesus was, was beaten with the cat of nine tails, when they put the crown of thorns into his head, when they hit him with sticks, they pulled out his beard, they spit on him, they made him carry that cross up a hill. They nailed him to that cross. All the while, every step along the way, he was the one in charge. He was the one in control. You say, I don't know, how can that be? Well, let's start, let's start here. Never make the mistake of thinking that the crucifixion was heaven's failure. Never make the mistake of thinking that man got one over on God when he finally put Jesus on the cross. Because, beloved, the cross was part of the divine plan from before man walked the face of the earth. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus was the one who was slain before the foundation of the earth. It was God's plan. So if the cross happened, if the crucifixion happened, if Jesus died on Calvary's hill, it's because God was in charge. The Lamb of God was fulfilling the plan of God in the timing of God for the purposes of God, all for the glory of God. That's the way it was intended to work. And so Jesus even made that clear one time when he was preparing the disciples in John 10. He said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. Notice that. If you, if, if you mark in your Bible, look that one up and mark it and highlight it. Because I think this is a major concept that a lot of us either forget or don't fully realize. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Look, no one takes it from me. Who killed Jesus? We like to have that debate sometimes. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews who killed him? Was it the Romans who killed him? In reality, 
It was he who laid down his own life. He was the one in control. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father, he said. Understand that Jesus was innocent, that he was in control. And then understand that he paid our debt. When he died on the cross that Friday, he was paying our debt. We go back to our text now in verse 24, and it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It stresses, and by the way, in, the, in, the, uh, in Greek, you don't have to have the, the personal pronoun that says he. In this case, it says, uh, let, me go, let me go back here. Uh, he bore our sins. You wouldn't have to have the he there because it's built into the word bore. They change the letters to show if it's a man or a woman doing it, and, and it's clear in the grammar that it means he bore. If you choose to add he in front of it, that means that you're emphasizing that it was he himself who bore. The emphasis is on the fact that he bore our sin, not his own. He had none. He bore, which means carried into sacrifice. That word means carried into sacrifice. He carried into sacrifice our sin because he had none of his own. If he was going to die for sin, it was ours. And it also emphasizes the fact that he himself carried that sin. In the Old Testament, they would bring critters. They'd bring a lamb. They'd bring a goat at times, different critters. And they would symbolically lay the sin of the people on that critter. And then they kill the critter as a sacrifice to pay for the penalty of the sin. This time, the emphasis here is saying, Jesus, as the high priest, did not put that sin on someone or something else. He didn't put it on another lamb or a goat or a sheep or a dove. He, didn't, he carried it himself. So the verse says, he himself bore our sins. He paid our debt. In that great chapter that Cheryl introduced us to that I've referred to a couple of times, Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, I think you and I, and I definitely include myself, you and I would take sin a whole lot more seriously if we understood the real price that it cost our Savior. 
if we understood the depth of the debt that we were in because of our sin, if we understood the suffering that Jesus went through when he was pierced for our transgressions, when he was crushed for our iniquities, when our chastisement was on him, if we understood that more fully, we would be much more careful with our choices, our decisions. We would take sin much more seriously. The powerful picture of Christ on the cross is one in which we see that he paid our debt. First Peter says it in this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He suffered once, Back in the Old Testament again, when they brought the sacrifices, they'd have to redo those sacrifices on a regular basis. Matter of fact, the Old Testament law explained how often you had to do which kind of sacrifices for which kinds of sins. And then once a year, there was the big one, the Day of Atonement, where they, they covered all of the sins that hadn't yet been covered some other way. But it had to be done every year. So 1 Peter says something that we also find in Hebrews, and that is that Jesus' sacrifice was so full, so complete, so, uh, so meaningful, so powerful, that it only took one. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, remember, he's innocent. For the unrighteous, he paid our debt. That he might bring us to God. He was innocent, he was in control, he paid our debt, and he suffered for us. The last part of this verse, verse 24. Verse 24 said, He bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You recognize that because we just read it in Isaiah. By his wounds you are healed. Understand the context here. He, he is speaking of how Jesus paid for our sin in order that we might be forgiven by God and live lives of righteousness. So when he says you, that his, by his wounds you have been healed, he's not talking about physical healing. I know a lot of people use that verse to say, since Jesus died on the cross, I can be healed of cancer. Those are two different things. You can be healed, yes. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about spiritual healing. Sin makes you sick, period. And it's a sickness that is terminal. Sin is a terminal illness. But Jesus paid for our sin. He took, he took our penalty. He suffered on our behalf, thereby healing us spiritually. By his wounds, we get the healing. He suffered for us. 1 Corinthians, for I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received. In other words, Paul is saying, this is the most important thing I have to teach the church. Now, if Paul ever said it that way, you'd pay attention, wouldn't you? Paul says, this is the most important thing I have to teach the church. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. That he died for our sins. He suffered for us. And then we also see when we survey the cross, when we look at the cross of Christ, we understand that he is our shepherd. The last verse here in our text, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were straying like sheep. Why do, why do sheep stray? Again, this is a picture in that same, that same chapter of Isaiah. We saw it there too. He said, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each gone our own way. Why, why do sheep stray? You know why? Because their food is down. What, they eat grass. They eat weeds. They eat stuff that's growing on the ground. And since their food is down, and by the way, sheep aren't the smartest critters in the world. Uh, they, you know, they, they say dolphins are really smart. Uh, monkeys are smart. Dogs are smart. Cats, dogs are smart. Um, okay, you cat people who just got mad at me, you can email me. My email address is todd at fbcwest.com. Sheep are, are, are not the smartest critters, and about all they know is eat and sleep. And the other stuff just kind of happens and takes care of itself. All they know is eat and sleep. And so they're looking down, they're eating. All they care about is where's that next clump of grass? And so they're looking down. They're over here. Shepherd's over there. They don't know that. They're not looking at the shepherd. They're looking at what they need, when they need it, how they need it. Wolf is coming up over here. They don't know that. They can't see that. All they can see is what they want, when they need it, or what, what they need, when they need it, how they need it. They're just, they're just doing their thing. And Scripture says in more than one place that we are just like sheep. We go through life with our heads down. We don't see the danger coming because we're not paying attention to it. We don't see the shepherd trying to lead us and care for us and, 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 and guide us. We're not paying attention to him because all we can think about is what we need, what we want, how we want it. We're just like sheep. And the sheep go astray because they're not paying attention, and so did you. And some of you are still wandering. Some of you are still going astray. All of us, every single one, who walked the face of this earth has been a sheep who's gone astray. And the shepherd, instead of saying, look, you stupid sheep, you did that to yourself. You stupid sheep, you deserve it. Instead of that, our shepherd says, because you went astray, there's a debt to pay but I'll pay it. I'll take your place. I'll die your death if you'll just follow me.
will you just start looking at me and let me be your shepherd? He died in order that he could pay our penalty to set us free, and he died in order that he could lead and we might follow. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I am the good shepherd. The amazing thing is for him to be the shepherd, he was the lamb of God. The son of God became the lamb of God so the people of God could become children of God. The living one died so those who were dead could live. The creator was killed by his creation so we could become new creatures in him. The innocent died a death he did not deserve so the guilty could have a life they could not earn. He did what he didn't have to do because we had done what we shouldn't do and couldn't do what must be done. He gave up his crown of glory and wore a crown of thorns that we might wear the crown of life. The sinless one became sin so the sinful could become righteous. The love of God was displayed. The holiness of God was declared while the sin of man was portrayed and the forgiveness of man was prepared. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us that much. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking our place, for dying our death, that we might have life. 